0: Imagine waking up and feeling ready to face the day with a smile, having more energy for your work, family and social life, fitting into your genes and feeling good about your body, knowing what to eat and enjoying your food without guilt or confusion, dealing with the stress of daily life in a way that doesn't fry your chips, and best of all, feeling relaxed, optimistic and in control of your health. It's all possible. I will show you how. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, energised life with straight-talking natural health, a no BS, tell-it-like-it-is wellness show, brought to you by qualified naturopath and functional medicine practitioner, Jules Galloway. That's me. Today's guest is a holistic registered nurse based in the Noosa Shire in beautiful Queensland. She's also an energy coach and a multi-modality practitioner, Who helps get people get lasting relief from things like stress, anxiety, and chronic pain, all without medication? Awesome, huh? She came highly recommended to me by one of my favorite, favorite clients. This client was like, You've got to check this woman out and get her on your show. And then when I did check her out, I was really intrigued by the way she could talk about both science and energy medicine in equal amounts without the two paradigms seeming to contradict each other. I love that. This guest has herself been through postnatal depression and post-traumatic stress disorder so she also has a first-hand insight on how it feels to not only be unwell and out of balance but to have an invisible illness that others can't see or sometimes really understand. I can't wait to pick her brain about her special blend of skills and experience. So please welcome to the show the wonderful Christy Lee Rackham. (laughs) (laughs)
1: hi Jules thanks for having me
0: oh thank you for coming on the show you're the first person that I've recorded in my new little bunker that I'm hoping isn't sounding too echoey I'm literally in a blanket fort today to buffer some of the noise because we haven't put things up on the walls yet and it's sounding a bit like I'm in a toilet so dear listener if you're listening to this I swear I'm not in a toilet I'm in my office
1: (laughs) yeah that's what she says but uh, we all know the real truth right (laughs) I know dodgy dodgy podcasting going on here (laughs) it doesn't really matter as long as we get the message across who cares where it comes from right
0: exactly right doesn't matter if it sounds like I'm in a toilet
1: it's all good not at all we're just waiting for the flush (laughs) not gonna
0: happen not gonna happen (laughs) All right. So look, tell me a little bit about your own story and how as a nurse, you came to be looking outside the standard medical system. Like what came first, the energy stuff or the nursing stuff?
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, actually the energy stuff came first. Shh, don't tell anyone. What? No. <laughs> it's It was an interesting, Interesting um, trajectory to the nursing, though. I actually uh, had a full-blown awakening when I was uh, a spiritual awakening, I suppose you'd call it, when I was 18, on the back of some serious trauma. So that can often happen. Trauma can force our our whole system into... Uh, a crisis state where we need to find other resources and other ways of continuing to go forward in life um, in in some kind of coherent fashion, so the the energy stuff came first. I was actually working in advertising of all things from when I was eighteen. Uh, advertising television communications was my day job, and After this sort of period of of discovery of the other realms, if you like, my I was moonlighting on the side uh, because my family opened a natural therapy center slash cafe slash yoga center slash uh, medica what do you call it meditation center. Yeah. Um, When I was about that age, uh, my sister had been sick for a really really long time since she was two or so two or three, and they were looking for an option to try to help her get well or give her something to live for in a way. So as a family. There was a lot of upheaval from when I was eighteen to about twenty three yeah, and I started moonlighting in the family's wellness center, running meditations because I was being given these interesting um, guidances from what I can only assume were other beings. So uh, I used to sit in meditation with a group of people at 18 and guide them along these visualization journeys before visualization was even a thing, you know, and mindfulness was never even heard of uh, at that point. That was in, oh God, when was that? 1992, 91, 92, 93. Yeah. So it was a little bit out there. Um, But since then I sort of, I ran these two concurrent lives um, for quite a while and through all of that though, I was starting to to move into healing. So I started doing some courses and, and training as a healer and then from there, I started getting information about people. I was able to see things that Uh, I realized were not in my head (laughs) Um, through a series of, you know, interviews with the clients. I was like, well, here's what I'm seeing and this is what I'm being told it means. Does that make sense to you? And they were flawed and often there was dramatic change and dramatic healing in those clients. Um, that I didn't even expect at the time, and so I was being shown information about them and getting words, visuals, sounds, sensations about them and their life, and using that to help them transform whatever was was causing them grief at the time. So, um, oh gosh, I'm probably going to get lost. It's a it's a the timeline's a bit skewed. I can't remember a lot of the timing, but from that, I started feeling like I needed some. Something to substantiate the information I was being given on on a more esoteric level, so I went off and trained as a massage therapist as well as a healer, and started integrating the two, doing bodywork, specific bodywork according to the uh, more esoteric information. Yeah. that was a nice sort of balance that worked well. I still was running as an advertising exec. So. Yeah. Oh my god, I was going to ask that. <laughs> Talk about two worlds. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah I, I totally was running two different personalities. It was it was quite interesting. But but I was running two personalities because of the trauma. So I had my my day job where I had this front to the world and everything was perfect and lovely and normal. And um, in my private life, uh, I was self medicating with drugs and alcohol to try and stay away from the pain and the stress and the trauma and the anxiety that was always sitting there after the events that happened around 18 to 20 so um yeah so it was quite an interesting phenomena to to have these different parts of me expressing at the same time <laughs> but my healing was was uh extremely effective so that's always been there the meditation side of things uh, that I use consistently with my practice today, meditation and um, intuition is a very strong part of my practice today. But then after the, you know, the, the massage thing and the healing, I started getting the pull to do more and to understand more of the physiology and to be able to reach a new group of people that, um, that I could share some of the more alternative ways of doing life uh, because I was, really, I was really being shown that there needed to be a bridge between the modern medical scientific world and the spiritual side of life or, or the spiritual side of humanity, really, who we are as, as people on a really deep level. Um, so I started to bridge the two. Uh, and how that happened was through more trauma and illness. So <laughs> it, it was pretty hairy for a while, I can tell you. A couple of decades of mess. Yeah. Talk about running the
0: same pattern over and over. Wow. Over and over until I finally figured it out. Yes. (laughs) And then when did you get away from the whole advertising TV communications thing? When did that have to go?
1: That had to go when I fell pregnant with my first child. I went overseas in, I think it was 2005, because at that point, I'd always been very highly aware of myself as well, even though I wasn't able to change. Yeah. So I was aware that there were all these problems going on under the surface. I was aware that it was dysfunctional. Uh, By then, by 28 to 30, I'd started to um, correct a few things yeah uh, by myself I still didn't see a doctor or a psychologist or anything up until that point um but I started to to realize that I really needed to change some things so I quit smoking I quit the dope uh and I I weaned myself off alcohol yeah and and a number of people had to go as well oh yeah the old toxic humans <laughs> oh my gosh they were just as addictive as the other substances for a while there but um Yeah, I I went overseas to try and model, actually, after my brother, who was extremely self-disciplined. So I spent a year in the States getting clear of the people, the places, the things that were um, triggering more and more, you know, trauma and and stress. Uh, Took myself out, took myself over there, started fresh, if you like. Yeah. And then at that point, I knew that I wanted to do nursing. I was just really, really pulled to it. And um, so I decided, this is a funny story for you, I decided that I was going to, I'd gotten a job in TV in London and I decided that I would take the job and I would also study part-time nursing over there for as long as it took for me to get the degree. But I thought, you know, it's cold in London. I think I'll go home. My whole family had moved from Melbourne to Queensland while I was away. They forgot to tell her. <laughs> my brother and I are overseas, and, and we get the call one day. Oh yeah, yeah, we've moved to Queensland. Anyway, <laughs> thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. Thanks, my sister, Julie. Um, it was funny. But I thought I'll go home. I'll have two weeks in in the Queensland sun. They were on the coast, Sunshine Coast. That'll be awesome. And then I'll go to winter the new job, the new uh, study. And I got to the airport in Maruchidor and I had the flu on the plane. So I was really sick and I was exhausted and I was, you know, messed up in the head and dizzy and just a messy, messy situation. Put, I was so excited to see my family. So I, I was sort of focused on I could see them. They were, they were the days where you were still allowed on the edge of the tarmac, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, the good old days! <laughs> the good old days. I could see my nephew who was three, and he was jumping up and down, so excited to see me after a year. And um, I got—I put my foot down on the tarmac, started to sort of pick up the pace, and promptly rolled my ankle and broke my foot and hit the ground like a ton of bricks in in between the plane and the <laughs> the, um, the terminal. And my dad leapt over the. Uh, the barricade that was there, a very flimsy barricade, he literally parkour. I think it's called, parkour over the top, <laughs> right? Balted. I've never seen him move so quick to pick me up and security were just kind of ambling around, oh, look, somebody fell, oh well. Yeah, t- today you get shot for that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? So I never left the Sunshine Coast. I broke my foot. I was in a cast for six weeks. I was bored. I was angry. You know, I lost my job because they didn't have time to wait for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And here I was stuck in the Sunshine Coast with no plans, no idea what to do. So I thought, well, screw it. I'll start the study now at the Sunshine Coast Uni and just to alleviate the boredom, really. Um, And that year I fell pregnant. 'Cause that was not planned. <laughs> and, <laughs> and um yeah, never left the coast. So the nursing started yeah, the year before long winded answer to a really quick question. Uh yeah, the nursing started once I was I was yeah, in that first year and then fell pregnant toward the end of that year. Studied all the way through my first and second pregnancies. Yeah. And finally graduated. Oh my God. I had to stop a few times because uh, the birth of the children created PTSD oh. and a state of depression and full-blown anxiety disorder and I was a little bit messed up for a while.
0: Yeah, right, yeah. Oh, wow. And, you know, then there's the issue of having babies and toddlers around the house. I don't know how anyone balances work and study and all of that stuff too.
1: Well, it was the meditation because at that point uh, my, my relationship broke down too. So I was on my own. I had a 16-month-old baby um, and a newborn who was about a month old uh, when my partner and I split up. So um, I was literally on my own in a big house with these two babies with postnatal depression, PTSD, and no, no idea no idea whatsoever what to do with myself so the only thing that I knew how to do really well was to meditate and and study so what I noticed though was the more I meditated uh the better life got and it did take a lot of time and energy and effort and there were a lot of horrible days and difficult times and um it was quite painful for a number of years. But in those early days, I wrote my book, my first book, whilst my daughter was up feeding at night. Uh, she used to feed for like two to three hours. So I'd write while she was feeding because she was really slow. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that kept me alive. And I swear to God, it kept me alive uh, doing that, um, having that focus that wasn't all the pain and the trauma and the suffering. Uh, and meditating more and more I noticed that I didn't have to study as hard um yeah so so the meditation became my go-to thing uh by then I started seeing a psychologist to try and sort myself out and I was at that point suicidal so I did end up going on antidepressants for a short time or a couple of years actually, it was three, three and a half, I think, yeah. um, because I was in that really, really high-risk situation yeah. and uh, I needed to stay for my kids. So the antidepressants leveled things out enough for me to start to recalibrate the, the old trauma and to correct the imbalances uh, with all aspects of my life at that point. So yeah, heavy, heavy shit, man. (laughs) Oh my god, what a huge story. Seriously. I know it's big. That's that's the tip of the iceberg, but we won't go into the rest of it today. (laughs) Oh my god, I have so many questions. (laughs) Have you got four hours? (laughs) Cancel everything. Over to you, I'll stop talking for a second.
0: (laughs) All right. I I have so many tangents I could go down right now, but I know, right? the thing I want to know the most is it's like I'm on the edge of my seat, this needs to be a movie. Um, I want to know, so you, you get qualified as a nurse. Did you have to go then and work in the hospital slash medical system for a degree of time?
1: I did, but it was a very short degree of time because by then I'd worked out who I was to, to an extent. I'd cleared a lot of the, the unconscious crap that had kept perpetuating more and more disasters um, and I'd started to reawaken, if you like, the, the parts of me that were, that, that woke up when I was 18, I had to shelve those in the middle there while the kids were needing me. Uh, and I was quite broken at that point or, or quite wiped out. So I needed to shelve all of my intuitive work. Uh, and I redirected it into study. Yeah. Um, and by the time I got to graduation, I was certain that the medical system wasn't set up to assist people with serious chronic long-term illness. At that point, that was, I don't even know how long ago that was. But so by the time I finished nursing, I went into general practice because of the shift situation. I didn't have uh, a lot of babysitting help at that point. So I needed something that could work a little bit better with the kids. But I wasn't able to work much. Um, And at that point I decided to, uh, there were a lot of reasons I decided to stop working in clinic. The main one was that I really became very distressed at the amount of pharmacological intervention without people being actually able to have the time, space and, and energy to be listened to and treated as a whole individual rather than just a set of symptoms or a diagnosis and then you know thrown into the the medical um intervention world so that was increasingly problematic because I had been through all of that and it didn't work for me uh the medications didn't solve any of the underlying problems they dampened it enough so that I wasn't going to die yep Um, saved your life good job yeah saved my life and that's important medical yep. systems have a place in emergency situations yep. um since then my daughter's had surgery she had a tumor a couple of years ago so the, you know there is a place for the medical system but they're not set up to deal with long-term chronic uh problems and and this sense of who the hell am i when you get sick you lose yourself Whether it's a mental illness or a physical illness, you you don't know who you are. You just become a a daily management, you know, and it's soul-destroying. I actually call it soul sickness because we don't know who we are. We've lost touch with what we want, what our needs are, and we've put all of our power into somebody else to fix us. And we're so far from who we thought we were going to be. that that it it causes this sense of sickness this this deep disconnect from life itself uh, and and I do believe that the medicines have a lot to do with that disconnect. Um, the numbing that happens when you go on antidepressants, yes, sure, it stabilizes you temporarily but what what do you lose in the process? I lost the capacity to feel my children. I lost my intuition, I lost the capacity to. Smile, you know, I, I'm sure I was going through the motions, but I couldn't feel anything. I didn't know what it felt like to be happy, let alone sad anymore, you know. Um, so, sorry, I got off track. I got off track no, there. We, we love off track, it's our favorite place. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, so, you know, that was distressing for me in the medical setting, uh, especially, and I won't go into this because it's a whole other topic. Um, the vaccination schedules were getting increasingly heavy uh, over and over. I was injecting babies with more and more and more, and, and that was extremely distressing to, to my sense of what's, what's healthy in the world, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> but we won't go down there.
0: Oh, God, we don't, do, we don't want the trolls today.
1: That, we're no no troll it. day today. <laughs> yeah. I, I believe in people's ability to choose. And and it, it's important for people to be able to choose whatever, and I'm t- not talking about vaccines, it's important for people to be able to know themselves and understand who they are at that deep heart and soul level to then be able to tune into their own wisdom, their own intuition, and decide what health pathway they need to follow in order to find themselves and get well. Yeah. That Was yeah. that a good summary? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and look, I, I
0: agree that the, the antidepressants that you were taking were very important for you to take at that time.
1: At that time, but, they absolutely were. But yeah. were
0: you told that that was how it was going to be for you, that you would be on something like that for life?
1: I was told exactly that, yes. Mm. You will probably have to be on these for the rest of your life was the exact phrase.
0: Yeah, um, and, if, and if they stop working, we'll just find you a different one or a different dose. Or...
1: Yeah, and they did try, I think it was four different kinds. Um, and more and more side effects and less and less peace of mind. And my kids were getting, I was watching my children get older and I didn't know who they were, you know, um, at that time, my son was also diagnosed with this hereditary disorder that we since discovered is running through our system, uh, our family as well. Yep. And that was the thing that my sister had been really sick with since two years of age. And it manifested in. Uh, for It's a spectrum now, so it manifests differently for everybody. But for me, it was the expression of it was triggered with the childbirth along with all the other stuff. So I was actually physically very unwell and then trying to figure out what was wrong with my son who was two or three when he started exhibiting symptoms. And then um, my daughter started to get sick a few years later than that, and she ended up having a tumour as a development of this this disorder. Um, and then we, once we found out what was wrong with Wilby through all of my research, we then were able to identify what was going on with my sister and my dad and my cousin. <sighs> wow. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was fascinating. So Will, Wilby, my boy, he came into this life to trigger massive intergenerational epigenetic healing, you know, um, There's a big role that he's had in healing the whole family. Um, So, yeah, that was what my research was about because the medical system couldn't tell me what was wrong for a really long time. They just told me, you've got depression, you've got anxiety, you've got PTSD, you've got this, you've got that, all these labels. The labels didn't fix me, neither did the antidepressants. So I went on this massive research uh, trajectory Looking at chronic stress, um, the nature of trauma, what it does to your neurology, uh, how it, it literally changes the wiring in your brain, yeah, and so I looked at the science of it, but then I also was getting i reopened up to the intuition and I was getting intuition information from um, the other realms, if you want to call it that, and downloading streams of information, consciousness information that was was Then uh, I was able to reverse engineer what I was getting intuitively with the science. So I was able to correlate. This is why the spirit and the science matches because I would get this massive download of information like I used to with the clients. And this time it was for my own family. And I go, wow, okay, well, that's really interesting. Um, I need to double check that. So I would then go and research and look at what was around in the science already. Uh, and what had been emerging in the cutting edge science, the quantum cutting edge science that's coming in uh, to mainstream now, epigenetics before anybody knew what that was, um, was what I based my treatment on for my family and have brought us back to a really great level of function um, for the most part. We, we still have ups and downs like everybody, but um, that's just life. It's not illness. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What was the key to turning that intuition back on? Was there like a turning point where it started to come back?
1: I had to do a lot of self-acceptance work um, and really dig into the the voice, the critical voice in my head that kept beating me up all the time. So I really had to dig deep into where that was rooted, where did that come from, where was I adopting this absolute self-loathing from. Um, and that took some time. I use techniques uh, that are called, they, they fall under the banner of energy medicine now. Uh, years ago, there was no such thing as energy medicine, but that's what they are now. Uh, things like matrix re EFT tapping. Uh, I developed a process called therapeutic applied percussion, which works for acute stress and anxiety in the moment when you can't possibly think. So so it was the self-development work And then there was this thing that happened. Um, I was attracting these really terrible relationships as well. And the last one that I, the last significant one was quite emotionally and physically abusive as well as mentally abusive. So I left him and at that point I really, that was the moment that I decided to get off the antidepressants. When I was off the antidepressants, then I could feel myself. Then I, I could tune in again to the intuition that was always there. I just couldn't access it. Um, and about a, about a six-month period passed and I was using those tools that I mentioned diligently multiple times a day. And one day I woke up and something was wrong and I'm like, oh, my God, what is that? Something feels really weird. And I did my, my breathing to, to sort of centre myself and get me tuned into my intuition which I do regularly automatically now, but at the time it was on purpose. And I'm like, what is this? What is this? And the answer came back uh, in a, in a wave of relief. And the thing that had changed, the thing that was wrong was that there was no anxiety it had gone, <laughs> it seemed like it had gone overnight, but it was a cumulative effect, you know, over time of all the inner work that I'd been doing and outer work as well. I'd been taking herbs and medicines and, and um, not, not pharmaceutical medicines, Medicine being good, healthy water, good, healthy air, medicine for the soul where I'd go to the beach and drink in the negative ions, uh, herbs. I was on a py- pyrols, um protocol as well. Yeah. Uh, so it was a holistic approach to getting myself well. But this day I woke up and there was, there was no anxiety and it was, felt so weird that <laughs> my brain interpreted that as something wrong. Because it was, I'd had anxiety since I was a teenager.
0: I love that. Yeah. I
1: love, Something's yeah. wrong. Wait, nothing's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and often people with chronic illness, this does happen frequently and I see it with a lot of my clients. They get to a certain point of wellness and they freak out because, uh-oh, something's wrong, I feel okay. Therefore, something bad's about to happen or yes. therefore there's, there's a problem, you know? Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. You would have seen that in your practice too, I'm sure. Oh, I've even experienced it
0: firsthand and and not just with health but with other parts of of life as well. Like if you finally get the job that you want or you finally get enough money or you finally life is easy and you're like, dun, 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 what's around the corner, something must be about to
1: go wrong because you just
0: don't accept that it's going to be easy from here.
1: Yes, and I feel like in a majority of cases it comes down to that deep sense of who the hell am I, you know, and if you don't know yourself and you don't trust yourself to be okay and trust that your intuition and your inner wisdom is guiding you in the right direction and that you will attract the support, the help, the needs, uh, the the backup that you need, um, that self-worth voice kicks in and says well you know it's it's not possible for you to be well you you've spent half your life being sick so who what who do you think you are is often what you hear in your voice uh, in the the voice at the back of the head you know and and when you realize though that that is an unconscious pattern an unconscious programming that we've adopted through our upbringing from in utero actually the science science shows us now that in around um, the middle of pregnancy into the second trimester, babies are conscious of their environment, not just the environment inside their mother's womb, but all the energy and all the sounds and all the visuals, the light changes, the sound changes that are going on outside are imprinting that baby on how it's going to be in that world that it's moving into. And today it's so, so scary because a lot of kids are being born with these chronic illnesses already intact when they're they're tiny, you know, Um, and it's a societal stress pattern that is getting more and more intense as each generation gets born. The pollutants on our planet, and when I talk pollutants, I don't just mean the air quality and, you know, some, some, um, you know, what do you call it, yeah, gases from yeah. the planet, whatever. Filter your water, etc. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just that. It's the energetic pollutants that we are born into. So energetic pollutants are things like Wi-Fi, uh, mobile phone, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi from your, your system. Um, the Wi-Fi towers are changing people's molecular structure. It's changing things. And there's good research about that, but nobody knows about it yet. But, but also... Environmental pollutants are the energy patterns and the thought patterns and the belief systems that our generations previously have brought forward into our systems before we 're even born uh, and This is the science of epigenetics. Epigenetics is hard science it 's not some woo woo thing out there that is you know hearsay it 's real hard science. Um, it was actually listed as a hard science I think it was a couple of years ago now two thousand and might have been 2000, don't quote me, 2012, 13, I think. Um, (laughs) But the, the study of epigenetics is the study of how the energy in your environment affects cells. And this is how I've been able to turn around our health because once you understand that what's going on in your subconscious mind is literally emitting a frequency that turns on your genes or off depending what's going on, you can change that, you know, all of a sudden it's within your power to change once you know that that's what's going on. So chronic illness is not a death sentence. It's not a diagnosis. It's something that is well within everybody's realms of possibility to completely reverse. Uh, I fully believe that. I've seen it. I've seen it with us and countless clients now, which is really exciting.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it does sound a bit sort of doom and gloom though, like we're born into the world. I know, with sorry.
1: Like there's EMFs and there's,
0: you know, 5Gs on its way, which is apparently going to be worse than 4G and we're all yeah. through, <laughs> radiation everywhere and, it, like, what do we need to do to counteract that?
1: Yeah, it, it, sorry about that. It does sound doom and gloom, but I, I think I'm I'm talking from the reference point of the past. So, What's come in with this new technology is a radical and cutting-edge understanding that we as humans do have the power to heal in ourselves. It's not something that's out there. It's not something that somebody else has the answers to. For starters, we're not broken. We just got off track. You know, we just got a little bit too far away from our heart and soul and what we are as, as human beings. Um, we're not just human, we're, we're energy, we're both. We're human and spirit interfacing between the universe and the earth. We're, we're part of the earth but we're also part of the cosmos. So once we understand that the power to change is in us already, And we learn the tools to be able to do that. We can transform anything. And when there is, we live in a polarity, right? So for all the doom and gloom, in a polarity universe, the equal and opposite is also true. So where there's light, there's dark. Where there's there's night, there's day. Where there's men, there's women. Where there's crap Wi-Fi, (laughs) (laughs) there's frequency therapy that is able to eliminate chronic pain, chronic fatigue, um, Parkinson's disease, uh, you know, ehlers denlos syndrome, which is what we've got going on, um, cancer, the cures are there. It's just that the cures are not found in chemistry. They're found in frequency. So that's the good news is that the, the equal and opposite is always true. So if you've had a really horrible time of things or you're feeling like death warmed up all the time and you've lost your spark and you don't know, excuse me, you don't know what to do, it's important to realise that for as crap as it is now, the equal and opposite is possible for you as well. That potential exists in your world already.
0: Yeah. And And there's there's someone out there already doing
1: it. Yeah. Tons of people already doing it. So it's a case of opening up to the possibility of healing in the first place, opening up and believing that it is possible to change. If you can see evidence of it around you and you can see that other people have done it, then it's also possible for you. Um, so I think that is the good news. And, and the techniques, once you learn them, they, they're, they're yours forever. You don't need to rely on anybody else. You can partner with other people. But it comes from that place of wisdom from inside, going, okay, I'm going to follow this feeling because this feeling feels good to me. And when I connect with these kinds of people, I feel a lift in my energy and I feel good about myself. So I'm going to do more of that. And when I take these herbs over here, I feel more strong. So that's obviously working for me. Um, And working out from your place of inner knowing who you are and what works for you and then seek out or ask for the, the people, the right people, the right um, things that are going to enhance your healing to magnetise to you. The law of resonance is once you are resonating healing, you will attract healing, it will come back and you will be guided that way forward. Does yeah. that make sense? It makes sense to me. I like it. All awesome. Right. <laughs>
0: So I, what I do notice in a lot of the women that I know, whether they're clients or friends, is mm. when they start to awaken to all this stuff and they start following their intuition, they have these setbacks because they can't always differentiate to whether something is anxiety or something is mm. intuition. You know how you were saying before you were like you woke up and you were like, oh, this is wrong, and you had that that feeling in your gut? Yeah. Uh, how can you tell the difference between a moment of anxiety and a moment of actual intuition that you should follow?
1: That is such an awesome question, and it's one of the first things that I teach my clients in my courses because um, for so long we've been trained in our patriarchal society to follow a very linear way of doing life. So the, the masculine way, it's okay you, to get from A to Z, you need to follow these steps and then it's all magically fine. We know that that's not always the case, especially with uh, a chronicity of any kind. Um, so the difference between anxiety and intuition, there's, there's actually three kinds of intuition. One of them comes from the head, which is, your stored information that your brain has gathered and soaked up like a giant sponge since, as I said before, conception almost, your brain retains every single shred of information that it's ever received. It's an amazing system. So one intuition is coming from your experiences and the meaning that you've created out of life in your head. And some of that is useful. You know, I I used to run really, really well uh, on a certain kind of head intuition with uh, certain elements of my my work in television. I had to, to be able to read the client. So that intuition was my brain registering very subtle, minute, tiny little changes in that person's physiology. My brain interpreted it as intuition and I used that knowledge. But it's not true intuition. Because when your head's involved, so is your unconscious programming. Yeah. So you've got to be careful because, yes, it can be confusing. Is this anxiety? Is this uh, a founded issue that's real or am I just afraid of something? So your head, yeah, it can tell you a lot, but it's not pure. Then you've got your gut feeling, right? Your gut brain. And the neurons in your gut that are in the lining of the gut feed information to the mind as well. And the gut intuition, you know, people talk about it all the time. Oh, I just got this gut feeling something was up. Your gut intuition is based on survival. Your gut is responsible for your ability to absorb nutrients and to function and be well and optimized as a human, your physical survival. So when you do get a gut intuition, it's telling you that there's something wrong here that is perceived threat to your survival, physical survival. Yeah? So, yeah. again, very yeah, useful. That's a good thing, backpack- yeah. Yeah, very useful. I used it a lot when I was travelling through, um, backpacking through South America on my own, you know. Gut feeling, stab in the gut, do not go down that alleyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yep, really, yep, really don't good. get in that car. <laughs> don't do it. But then your, your heart is where your purity lies, where the pure intuition, the gateway to your pure intuition is. So I teach people to hear the difference between the head voice and the heart voice and the gut voice too. So if you bring, bring the head down into your heart and bring the gut up into your heart and center your consciousness there, center your awareness in the heart, there's a very soft voice when you clear away all the crap that your head's telling you, there's there's a voice that's quiet and it's simple. It's very, it's very short. It doesn't diatribe into stories and um, details and what ifs and whys and it doesn't need to do that because it already knows. So the head voice is always that. It's stories, diatribes, what ifs, if you did this, then that would happen and ruminations and blah, blah, blah. And it's loud usually and repetitive and annoying and critical. And it speaks fast. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) yes, exactly. So that's your head voice. If you can drop your awareness into your heart and all you need to do is actually put your hand on your chest and your, your awareness will automatically go where you've made physical contact. And It's a case of using some practices to quieten yourself down, not to not to shut the head up because we can't. We're human, okay? That's a fallacy. (laughs) You cannot switch off your brain completely. We need our brain, but you can certainly (laughs) ignore it. Yeah, but getting into your heart and the heart voice is simple. It's usually one or two words or a very short phrase. Um, It's soft. It's gentle. It doesn't argue. It's just a simple yes or a no or a, um, I did a meditation while I was away just recently and I, I I went very deep into the earth and I asked a question of my heart while I was there and the answer came back, all is well. And it was just loving and gentle and quiet and calm, yeah? Yeah. So that's the difference between the two. It takes practice to drop out of the head and into the heart. It's not something that most people can instantly master uh it definitely needs to be a practice um at shifting your focus shifting your awareness into that so that you can learn what your heart voice actually sounds like for you uh it it's it's going to be different for everybody and sometimes the head voice can get really really loud and we can't hear yeah so yeah that's that's the difference yeah all right, what about if
0: someone's just starting out and they're like, I've never heard this heart voice, yeah, I've, I wish I had, I feel like my pipes are clogged, like they, I don't have a direct line to this, this part of me. How do you mm-hmm. unclog the pipes? What are the first steps?
1: I actually developed a process called the ACT process. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, It's three steps, very simple. A stands for acknowledgement, C stands for connect and T stands for transform. So the first step is to acknowledge the fact that there's something going on in you. So if somebody was uh, suffering from maybe, um, you know, chronic fatigue, for instance, acknowledge that in that moment you're tired acknowledge it acknowledge the fact that I'm bone weary right now acknowledge the fact that your head is saying you can't do this acknowledge the fact that you your your brain is is spinning out of control and it's exhausting yeah acknowledgement is the first step because until we are able to acknowledge what is going on and allow ourselves to have that experience in that moment without beating ourselves up over it or trying to force ourselves to, to go against what our body is trying to tell us because our body's a barometer, you know. Our body will give us the information. If you're tired, you need to rest because you're expending too much energy somewhere else. Um, and that may be expenditure in an unconscious pattern state it might be trauma stored in your energy field. It might be an imbalance in your hormones physically. So acknowledge, allow, accept, and be aware of what is going on with you now and be all right to stop for a minute and just tune in. Step two is to get out of your head and connect with your heart, which we do with a simple breathing technique. Uh, literally touch your heart, like, like I mentioned before and start breathing in through your chest and out through your chest. It takes practice. Your head will probably go, Oh, this is a waste of time. I need to be going out and doing this. And I've got so many things to do and I'm so tired and I can't do all of it. So I better not do the heart breathing because then I won't have time.
0: (laughs) Shut up brain. Shut up.
1: (laughs) Totally. I talk to my brain. I'm like, yep. Thanks brain. I understand you're worried, but right now I'm breathing. And just return your attention back into your chest and breathe in through the heart, let the air swirl around your heart and breathe back out again. Then start tapping on the chest. Very lightly, just tapping on the centre of the chest because that gentle tapping does a number of things. Firstly, it brings your attention and makes it stay there. Secondly, it creates micro... Uh, vibrational waves that dislodge uh, stored, stuck, stagnant energy in your system. And then we add a mantra. So as we breathe in, we relax, say to ourselves, relax. And as we breathe out through the chest, we release. The action of doing those things all at once not only de-escalates your system very, very quickly, it starts to train you in a new neural pathway that gets you out of your head and into your heart on a regular basis. Over time, you don't even need to do that whole process. Once you put your hand on your heart and you take that first breath, your brain goes, oh, that's right. We're going to follow the neural pathway that causes us to feel better. Oh, that's right. Thanks. Okay, we'll do that. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and from that place of heart, you get to instruct the brain rather than the brain instructing
0: you. So it becomes like an anchor, like an easy kind of yeah. home base.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you live there after a while. I live, I live there now. <laughs> it's a much nicer place to be your happy than place. in my head. Yeah. Sorry.
0: Yeah. So now, so now that you live in that happy place,
1: hmm. uh,
0: what happens when like everyday problems arise that, you know, run the risk of skittling you?
1: Yes, shit does happen on a regular basis because we're human and life, life is dualistic, as we talked about. You know, uh, if I have a good day, there's going to be times when I'm not feeling so crash hot. But the first thing that I do, the first thing is acknowledge, oh, my God, I feel irritable or I feel narky, or I'm getting angry and I don't know why or I'm really tired and my body is aching right now. Acknowledge. Second thing, drop out of my head into my heart Find the heart voice and ask, what do I need to feel better? What does my body mind need from me to feel better? And because I'm adept at that now, the heart voice will tell you. It'll say something like, maybe you should have a 20-minute cat nap. Or it'll say, you haven't taken your vitamin C. Or it'll say, paint, draw, read, connect. It'll tell you what your transformation, T, A-C-T, what transformational action are you going to take in that moment that is going to shift your day and turn it around. So we choose, we consciously choose what emotions we want to generate, what feelings we want to generate by getting out of head, into heart and then asking the heart what we need to transform into a, a better situation. The, that um, process, tapping uh, on the chest whilst breathing into your heart, whilst saying the mantra, that's therapeutic applied percussion uh, in its brief form. So that actually de-escalates panic, overwhelm, anxiety extremely rapidly within a couple of minutes. So it's it's really powerful for people who do find themselves regularly getting out of whack. But doing the unconscious recalibration of whatever trauma and stress you've got stored, and everybody does, makes daily life so much easier because you're no longer funneling off all your vital life force to try and hold yourself together for some unconscious reason um, that's not relevant for you and your life anymore, something that happened 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah
0: oh so there's like i know there's so many tools that you have up your sleeve i wish i could share them all but we'd be here for
1: weeks (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah i just i guess i really want people to know that they've got the power to change it's not the world is not out to get you the world is not you know crushing you or or going to to drag you under there there's a there's a there's a way forward and it starts with figuring out who you are and really hearing that authenticity, the real self, being able to identify that. What's your energy? What, what do you feel like? And once you know that, then you can start to make choices that help you to feel more, more of that rather than less of that.
0: Yeah. So I'm wondering... I I have a lot of clients, uh, friends, and look, I've been through it myself. When you start to go down a path that's a little bit different from what your friends and family are into, <laughs> yeah. and and along come the very well-meaning and often very well-educated skeptics. Sure. And I'm, I love those. I know, right? But I'm particularly interested to hear your take on this because as a nurse, you must have sat alongside mm. some very, very staunch, sciencey people in your travels to become educated and qualified. So what do you say to people when they say this stuff doesn't exist and there's no science behind it?
1: it's an excellent (laughs) question (laughs) yeah it's it's tricky um i'm really good at reading my energy and i'm extremely good at reading other people's energy so my first personally my first thing is to assess is this person is there any opening in this person whatsoever for offering a new idea and and so I'll, I'll assess that, you know, am I getting a brick wall here? Is this person going to dig in and have an argument or, or is there some room? Is there some room to expand this person's awareness into a new realm that they haven't considered before? Um, if I'm getting that's, excuse my French for a second. If I'm getting, oh, that's absolute bullshit. You're, you're talking a load of crap, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, I'm not going to engage with that person. I don't want to waste my energy on trying to convince them of anything. That's their belief system and that's okay with me. Everybody has their own belief system. No two people have the same beliefs. So who am I to judge what their belief system is? That's okay. If they want to follow that that trajectory for themselves, who am I to get in their way? That's not my business. But if they were to try and dictate using their belief system to try and control my actions in the world, that's when I very gently say, I understand your perspective. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your perspective. It's, it's a really interesting opinion. I believe something different, but I really appreciate you sharing that with me. Short, sweet, simple. And I extract myself because there is no point fighting. I'm not here to fight. I'm here to share and help people to be the best version of themselves. And people will resonate with that or they won't. But I'm not here to convert anybody. Um, in terms of hard science, if somebody was, uh, and we do get this a lot with epigenetics because it's not in the textbooks yet. It's mm. so so cutting edge that barely anyone's heard of it. But, you know, when you come up against that, oh, you can't change your genes once you're you've got the gene for alcoholism, you're done, you know, you're going to be an alcoholic. Um, that kind of mindset is not up with the latest science. So what I would tend to do is is direct people to some peer-reviewed journals or, you know, direct them to some experts in the field and let them make their own decision. If they want to do the research, they will. If they're too closed off and they're too scared to open up to a new possibility, they won't do the research. But either way, it doesn't make any difference to me. Yeah, yeah. So, same. I would say that to, I say that to all my clients. It is difficult though when you get close family members who oppose you. That is very challenging. Yeah. Oh yes,
0: definitely. Yep. Especially when they're people that you actually love, and yeah, and also if you can see them hurting and you know that what the information you hold if you know that that can help them it hurts even more doesn't it
1: it really does um and i think at that point you know the old saying you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink is really true yeah, but you can shove its face in the pond <laughs> 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 you can yank on the rope and force its head down and go drink this stuff it'll work <laughs> yeah yeah we lovingly we lovingly share what we've discovered and then we we hand that gift of discovery to our loved ones and guaranteed they can see that we're changing. And often people are scared of change because it makes them have to confront themselves and their own world. Um, and that can be very, very frightening for our family. Uh, initially when I started to change, uh, a lot of my criticism, my critical voice in my head was patterning that I got from my mum. Don't get me wrong, love my mum. She's a fantastic lady and has some exceptional uh, skills. But at the time, I was still quite fragile in my new way of living life. And when mum and I would get together, my new way was at indirect odds to the way that I'd been raised. So it was quite challenging for a few years while we worked out our new personas, you know, while we worked out who, who we were going to be next as, as a a family. And at the time I needed to back off a little bit from Mum. uh, love her so much. But at the time it was harder for me to be strong in my belief with the old paradigms and, and the way that she would perceive life. It was too different to the new way that I was going. And and I needed to just trust that this was right for me. And I was starting to see results. I was starting to feel better. And so I needed to trust that my body knew what it was doing and whatever I was doing was actually working. So I had to follow through on that because um, you've got to know what your underlying why is. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you want to get well? I had I had babies to raise and anything that was going to start Help, helping me feel better was worth pursuing, even if the rest of my family thought it was bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because my my need to keep living and be the best person I could be and heal so that my children didn't end up with the same disorders as I did, um, that was my reason to keep going in the face of difficult uh, opposition. And my family, I was very lucky. Uh, most of my close family are on the same page anyway or they ended up on the same page. Um, yeah. But my extended family think it's all a load of crap, so that's okay. <laughs> a lot of them have gone down the medical route for, for healing and they're okay with that and so I'm okay with their choice. That's their choice. Yeah, It's not what I'm doing for me. So I think people need to really follow their follow their feelings. I'll keep coming back to it. Know who you are, figure out who you are, hear the inner voice, trust yourself and observe the changes in yourself and, and have the courage to know that that's enough for now. And three things happen with other people around us though, when we start to shift into a lighter way of being, there's three things. Firstly, on an energetic level, people sense that the change is happening and and they often sense that before they see the changes. But either way, there's three things. The first thing is that they'll fight. So all of a sudden you'll start having arguments. There'll be bickering. There'll be knockiness, There'll be direct opposition. They'll be yelling and swearing sometimes um, because they're threatened. Some aspect of them has realised that change is happening and they're not comfortable with it. It's scary. So they'll fight you and try to bring you back down to their, their reality. Yeah. Yeah. The second thing is they'll raise to meet you at that new place and there'll be a bit of toing and froing for a while while that happens. But generally some family members will go, huh, wow, I can see something's going on here. Things feel different. I'm going to raise my energy and meet this and, and open to it. And the third thing is they'll leave. And we've all seen this when we change, right? All of a sudden, you look around, and you go, "Holy shit! Where are my all my friends?" Yeah, oh drop God. away,
0: yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, yep. Or you need to leave because the dissonance between you and them and their belief systems and your new belief systems um, is too big. So one or other person uh, leaves, and that sometimes happens by divine intervention. You know, sometimes all of a sudden somebody will just disappear out of your life and you won't see them again, <laughs> you know, gone. Um, or, or it'll be an action that you consciously choose or they consciously choose um, to dissolve that association because it's no longer serving either person. Yeah. So, yeah it, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's not easy. Becoming who we truly are is a massively courageous act. But the rewards, oh, my goodness, if I had even known, even, when, even though there was part of me that just knew life had to be better and different than what I was getting at that point, I didn't know um, now. And sometimes I close my eyes and I go back and I talk to that part of myself who was struggling so badly and in so much pain and I talk to her and I tell her, you know, it's okay, you're going to be okay, there's magic, there's magic, keep going, you know and it's not that far off at all once you get a roll on you know get the snowball rolling yeah
0: it's right there with you you've just got to lift up the little curtain
1: there yeah it. open to another way open to another possibility open to the belief that it must there must be the equal and opposite than what you're getting and and follow that yeah if light is what you want if health is what you want if dreams and and wealth or whatever it is if that's what you truly want then just trust the belief that that it's possible and take the next step it doesn't have to be 20 steps to start with my steps were get up and actually get dressed that was a good day for me in the early days to actually get up and get dressed and often I would go back to bed after that um and little by little, you know, then I'd walk to the letterbox. Oh, I was exhausted by the end of that. So I'd come home and I'd have a sleep. But that was a win for me that day. A good day was making dinner for my kids, a healthy, wholesome dinner that that they needed for their nourishment. That was a win. So focus on the little wins in those tiny moments in life rather than the heaviness of, of the baggage that you're carrying around.
0: Yeah, love it. Love mm-hmm. it. Oh, my goodness. I think... That's a perfect place to wrap this up.
1: Um, yeah. Oh my god, There's just so many good things. I love it so much. It just, it just. Um, I really appreciate you asking me to to share my story and giving me the space to to share that because, um, I really, I really walk through this world hoping that the more I shine, the more I can show people that that they can as well uh so that's you know the old living by example thing um and i'm not perfect and i get it wrong and i'm not afraid of letting people see when i screw things up these days (laughs) because it's real you know we're all real we're all just doing the best we can with what we've got and um so i really really am so grateful for you having me on the show and thank you to all your listeners for sticking with us this long. Those of you who the end.
0: Oh, they are. They're all still here. I know it. I know it. I can feel them. (laughs) Now, before you go, can you please share how people can find you online and how they can connect with you?
1: Yeah. So Facebook, I am on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, My holistic nurse Australia is, Facebook and Instagram is Christy Lee Rackham or lowercase one word L double E K R I S T Y L And then um, my website is www.myholisticnurse.org. Uh, so they can touch base with me, reach out if you're wondering, if you're not sure, if you just want to um, chat, I do offer a free sort of half hour chit-chat to to get a picture of where you're at too if anybody was interested in that.
0: Yeah, love it. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for being so brave and so outspoken and bringing bringing that science and that woo woo together you know that's my favorite thing oh thank
1: (laughs) you i used to be really shy you can't tell now right (laughs) Mm, that person's gone (laughs) i love her still yes thank you and um and uh, yeah i hope to to listen to more of your interviews with all these other wonderful people that you've got there too i've listened to a few already so it's really awesome what you're doing so thank you thank you
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Straight Talking Natural Health. If you liked what you heard, hit subscribe. That way you'll never miss an installment. If you're a fan, please take a moment to leave me a review on iTunes. It helps other listeners to find this podcast too. Also, check out my website at julesgalloway.com. You'll find all the podcast episodes there, along with loads of blog posts and resources to help you on the path back to finding your happy, energized self again. There's also a free quiz to help you assess your risk of burnout and adrenal dysfunction. So if you've been burning the candle at both ends, or maybe you've been super busy or stressed recently, take the quiz now to see where your body is at. That's at julesgalloway.com. And let's connect. Follow my adventures on Facebook and Instagram at Jules Galloway Health, and join our pumping Facebook group. Just search for Straight Talking Natural Health, or follow the links in the show notes. Till next time, remember, look after your awesome self because it gives others permission to do the same. Bye for now.